This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. China's super secret. U.S. locks down tech transfers. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell, joined again by Tiffany Trader. Tiffany, we're back home from the ISC conference, and we covered the top 500 list while we were there. But as we were traveling home, a bit of a bombshell out there in the world the answering the riddle, when is the number one supercomputer not really the number one supercomputer in the world? The answer is, what if there was another secret supercomputer somewhere else that for some reason held back from being on the list? Right, right. So good good to be here talking with you again, too. Uh, we, we had a good show. Um, but yeah, there were some rumblings leading up to ISC that maybe China had uh, stood up a, a big system that might make make a new record. Uh, but when the top 500 came out, no such system materialized on the list. Um, and uh, HPC Wire found out and uh, reported that China had indeed benchmarked a, a system um, via uh, Shigong, uh, HPC vendor, um, at um, over 300 petaflops limpack, which is two times the performance of the, uh, the DOE's uh, Oak Ridge Summit system, which is uh, 148. Um, petaflops limpack. Uh, and then confirmation also came from the Hong Kong-based South China Morning Post, which which broke the story. Right. So the two systems we had reported at the top of the list were unchanged other than a, an upgrade, but in the same positions, the summit system uh, at Oak Ridge National Laboratories at 148.6 petaflops, followed by the Sierra supercomputer at Lawrence Livermore National Labs at 94.6 petaflops, then the two Chinese systems, the Sunway Taihu Light and the Tianhe 2A. But this would be another new Chinese supercomputer, at double the performance of Summit at 300 petaflops. And we hear different information about why it is or isn't on the list, about whether or not they uh, actually had the benchmark run. To me, the most credible thing that uh, that's out there is is that they intentionally did not uh, file it for the for the top 500 list in order to avoid public and U.S. government scrutiny and any potential uh, reaction that would come amidst the all of the trade war and tariff background, uh, Huawei and the Department of Commerce actions, uh, and I, I find that very believable. But nevertheless, here it is: the story's out. Right, right. That That is um, what we heard as well from people close to the matter was that Shigan, also known as Donning, uh, backed off uh, from submitting the results uh, to the top 500, given the, the heightened political situation and the confluence of these tech and trade wars going on with the, the upcoming summit, um, the, which, is, which is just happened now. Um, and uh, additional context here. Uh, that the uh, the Chinese multinational and an important HPC company in its own right, Huawei, was put on the the trade ban on uh, May fifteenth. You know that was that was the the context for them pulling back. Meanwhile, in an allegedly completely unrelated story, and I think we're going to go back and forth between our two stories rather than separate them this time. Allegedly, completely separately, we have new entities or rather new Chinese organizations that are put onto the U.S. entity list to block technology transfers to them. Uh, so why don't you bring us up to speed on that, and then we'll talk about the interplay between the two. 
Yeah, so I think um, so I think some folks in HPC might be familiar with this entity list, you know, that that has has come up before. Uh, well, we'll get into that a little bit more too. But on on Friday, uh, June 21st, as many of us were were returning from from ISC, news came out that the U.S. Commerce Department had added several Chinese groups to its entity list, which essentially prohibits them from accessing advanced computing technology and technology that's important to supercomputing. So the the Commerce Department added four Chinese companies, including the HPC company Shigan. And one Chinese institute, which is the, the Wuxi uh, Zhangyang Institute of Computing Technology in Wuxi, China, where uh, Sunway Taihu Light resides, saying that these these five entities posed a risk posed risks to American national security or foreign policy interests. And uh, like I said, the the move essentially bars the entities and their subsidiaries from buying U.S. technology and components without a waiver from the United States government a waiver that is rarely if ever granted under a presumption of denial a presumption of denial policy. You're right that this isn't the first time we've seen this and in fact it happened relatively recently in April of 2015 was the last time we talked about this exact topic on this week in HPC and at that time it was with regard to uh, exports of uh, technology to the National Supercomputing Center in uh, Guangzhou, which is which was for the Tianhe two upgrade at the time, which directly related to the Intel Xeon Phi processors that were headed to that system. But but it wasn't specific to Intel. It was really any advanced technologies going to those specific entities in China. Now, what we find with this new system is that a lot of people are zeroing in on the processors of this unnamed system uh, that's, the, that's the new alleged largest uh, or most powerful supercomputer in the world. They're now using an AMD EPIC derivative processor, not off the shelf, but through a joint venture with AMD that licenses the Zen One Epic architecture, China is then building those processors for this system. Yeah, that's right. So through this joint venture with a company called Thetic, that is uh, also included um, on this entity list as a as one of the one of the subsidiaries for one of the groups. Uh, this is a Chinese holding company that was licensing the AMD Epic Zen 1 for Sugan. And uh, the details are kind of complex, but Thetic uh, actually comprises two separate joint ventures with, with, with AMD. And all of these um, companies are, are, are now on this, on this entity list. And this was a deal that was formed um, in April 2016. Uh, and it's a licensing, um, a licensing deal, somewhat similar uh, to how ARM would be licensed, but with extra protections put in place around the manufacturing and then around the, um, you know, how the the, the, the cryptography around the the, chip, the the chips too. So it's it's more locked down than an IP agreement would be with with ARM. There are also restrictions generationally that this is specifically for the Zen One architecture and doesn't automatically roll forward to new generations of the Epic processor, right? That's right. And so yeah, the timeline is really very interesting to me here. The last time we were talking about these entity lists was April 2015. This joint venture with AMD officially 
dates back to April 2016, which means they were probably in the conception phase of it pretty rapidly after the entity list was pursued the last time. Now, at the time, if you go back and listen to this week in HPC in April 2015, when we talked about it, the conjecture was that the focus might shift to licensing of open power, which was a bit on the rise at the time. And open power licensing had recently become available, including within China. So the idea of something like this was, was certainly on our minds, but AMD wasn't so much on our minds then. It was really before they got going with Zen and certainly before they've been uh, reached the current level of success that they've had with the Epic processor. Now there's a lot more attention on AMD. And I think there's a temptation to go back and say, well, wait a minute, they did what at the time, right? Uh, but uh, really something that's been very successful for AMD from a business standpoint. And now they're getting a little bit of scrutiny for it, uh, I think, in hindsight. Right. So, um yeah, exactly what you're saying. So, you know, I remember back at the time you're saying I was also having conversations with, you know, with IBM and, and Open Power, and they were looking to line up, you know, similar, similar arrange, hoping to line up similar arrangements because that's, you know, that's um, kind of how you, what you have to do in order to, to, in order to sell into that market. And really nobody, nobody questioned it. And, you know, AMD has put out a statement saying, um, quote, that they uh, diligently and proactively briefed the Department of Defense, the Department of Commerce, and multiple other agencies within the U.S. government before entering into the joint ventures, end quote. Um, so, I mean, it looks like, you know, the, the due diligence was done there and it's just now that it, it's come out and, um, you know, coming out to a public that maybe isn't as, as familiar with, with these things as, um, you know, people whose businesses um, to focus on them uh, aren't as familiar, you know, they're not as familiar. So they don't, they don't, they don't maybe understand all of, all of the, uh, the nuances of these these agreements. Yeah, I to me I don't I think it's clear that AMD hasn't done anything wrong in this respect. I think if anything there's a reaction to how successful it is and why aren't we having that kind of success domestically that China is is ahead with technologies that are equally available or more available in the United States. Now we certainly have exascale plans including based on AMD Epic processors for coming into uh, U.S. supercomputers. But the idea that we're now uh, in second place again behind the Chinese supercomputers is maybe taking people by surprise. Now, furthermore, there's a lot more to a supercomputer than just the processor. I think that's getting a lot of attention right now, but there's very little that's known publicly about the architecture of this new supercomputer in China, which we're going to have to give a name yeah. to at some point. So maybe our, our listeners can send some suggestions or tweet <laughs> to us at This Week in HPC what we want to name this computer in the in the meantime to uh, make it easier to talk about. But beyond the processor, we don't know about the architecture or the networking interconnect, at least not publicly. There, there probably are people who know, but it's not, uh, it's not out there for general consumption right now. Yeah, we don't, we don't know, but we do know that um, Shigan brought a, a rather impressive system to their, to their booth at ISC. And we, we, we do have some details about, about that. Uh, system, including that it, it features um, some phase, phase change immersive cooling that they say allows them to um, deliver a PUE of less than 1.04, an impressive PUE, and that it's um, that each each rack holds 100 and, uh, uh, 80 dual blade nodes for a total of one 
160 nodes per, per rack. And then each node of the system um, that was um, on, on display on the floor houses uh, one of these epic epic clones or, um, or licensed, licensed epics, Zen, Zen one epics and uh, four, I was just told AMD GPUs. That's all I know about them. AMD GPUs. Right. Um, which doesn't necessarily yes. make them a Radeon GPU, but no, again, I a do. licensed architecture. I, I don't know. Yes. Um, like I couldn't, couldn't um, get more than that. And then, um, but the AMD of course, the, 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 that is the, the, China's version of the Epic processor um, through that licensing agreement. And then I was also told uh, by the folks at the booth that the system also supports Intel um, x86 plus AMD GPU gear. Um, you know, this was before before the entity list came out, of course. Um, and and booth, booth signage indicated a partnership status too. And then um, as far as the, don't know who the, the, um, Interconnect suppliers, but was told that that this the silicon cube that they had um, called the uh, called the Nebula silicon cube. Um, it it uh, leverages fat tree topology and 60 torus high speed network technology with uh, 200 gigabits per second inter, inter, interconnect, according to Sagan. And there are only so many providers of things that are capable of 200 gigabits per second. But again, that all winds up being conjecture. Now, this is what they were demonstrating in their booth under the code name Nebula. And connecting that to the supercomputer becomes a, a matter of inference. But this alleged super nebula, what we can figure is that the nebula system that was in Shugan's booth is probably a commercialized version that they're then able to sell. How different that is from the super nebula, uh, and maybe that's what I'm going to call it until we come up with a better name. How it differs from super nebula is, is just a matter of uh, conjecture or opinion at this point. Right. And then um, I would I would completely agree with that. And then uh, it might also be, uh, be worth mentioning that uh, Sugans uh, also has a number 40, 43 system on the uh, top 500 list, which is also which is comprised of these uh, high gone um, epic licensed CPUs. Um, and uh, that's also connected with. 200 gigabits per second networking in a 60 Taurus topology. That's a number 43 system in the, in the rankings. You do an excellent job in your article on HPC Wire on this topic, mentioning that Shugan claims that it's the number one provider of Chinese HPC systems. That winds up being a bit of a funny claim that's, that's hard to uh, confirm. Shugan's primary customer is and has been the Chinese government. And because they're subsidized purchases. It's not even clear what kind of technology transfer or purchase price there is for something like this. It's a closed loop economy and they don't compete in the same way that an Inspur, a Huawei, or even a Lenovo does in this case. So, uh, you know, they're, they're certainly a major provider to the Chinese military and other government Chinese systems, but we don't see them as a player in the HPC market outside of that. And uh, Lenovo and Inspur, they're, they head in in sales in, in China? Well, yeah, we tend not to break out the individual vendors within separate companies, but of those, uh, Lenovo and Huawei have brands that compete a little more internationally. Lo uh, Lenovo is the biggest of the lot of them. Inspur does have a lot of hyperscale sales, particularly in China, and that's where they get the majority of their uh, their top 500, but they also do sell HPC as well, again, predominantly in China. 
it's also worth mentioning. So Shigan, of course, is one of the three Chinese organizations leading their their exascale, their pre-exascale, and their exascale program. Uh, and um, it was already public knowledge that um, part part of that their the, the architecture they were driving was this epic, this uh, licensed epic-based architecture as part of their their pre-exascale. Uh, swim lane, um, but notably, all th all three organizations leading China's development of exascale high-performance computing. So, Shigan, the Wuxi Jianyang Institute of Computing Technology in Wuxi, and the National University of Defense Technology and UDT uh, in Beijing are all on the entity list now. Um, the latter was uh, added in NUDT was added in February 2015. The, which we were we were discussing earlier, um, because of its use of doing simulations for nuclear and military use. That's what the Department of Commerce had stated at the time. Uh, and in addition, if you, when you read the the latest entity list that that came out um, this June, they uh, have they the, the Commerce Department is saying that the NUDT was found to be accessing restricted U.S. technology using various aliases and also uh, multiple addresses. So they uh, they updated the list to include those aliases and locations. So I just uh, my takeaway is that, um, you know, all, all three of the companies leading this now um, for China are on the entity list, which, um, you know, my um, could give the, the U.S. Um, an advantage in exascale, but um, it also, as we know from what happened in, in 2015, it incentivizes China to develop um, their what they call their self-controllable computing cap capabilities. And indeed, they did because um, you know not too it wasn't too long after um, the, the 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 2015 entity list was announced that they were able to stand up the Sunway uh, Taihu Light in Wuxi. With um, you know, with all uh, mainly an all Chinese, um, all Chinese technology, certainly a Chinese processor with the the Sunway. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, first of all, going back to 2015, the idea that we were shocked, shocked that there would be nuclear simulations going on in these Chinese supercomputers, I thought was almost a naive statement. Everyone had always known that that part of what you did with the, was nuclear simulation. So, I find these movements in the entity list to be politically motivated from a timing or optics standpoint more than anything else. And furthermore, I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, putting a Chinese uh, organization on this so-called entity list is, is extremely short-term focused. It can slow down the deployment of an individual supercomputer or even a current generation of supercomputers. But what it does is it encourages the investment in Chinese technologies that aren't reliant on American companies or American components. And we've seen that play out repeatedly over time. So uh, you can get a short-term boost by restricting uh, technology of, of one company over another. But where if you really want to excel, uh, over the other country in the long term, you have to do that on the demand side, not on the supply side, right? And I, I made the point earlier in this podcast that these technologies are all equally available or more so available in the United States than they are in China. So to say, well, it's the supplier's fault for selling them within China, I think is a long reach, <laughs> right? Uh, these are all for-profit companies and they're global companies and they're trying to make money where they can. 
so to, to try to artificially cut off development in China by withholding the technology, that's just not consistent with the way that supercomputers are built today, which is from commonly available components. And if you restrict the access to those components, well, the components will just get developed within China anyway. Yeah, it's a complex situation, and it's very much uh, playing out in real time right now. Um, after the G20 summit, you know, Trump had a promise to ease restrictions on on Huawei, so it's kind of a, a test case for the, the the larger market. And we're we're we're, you know, it's playing out in real time. Um, you know how that's going to go because uh, it had been said that maybe some sales would be allowed to resume to Huawei as long as they did not raise security concerns. And then today, you know, just 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 today, the latest news is that Huawei still remains on the entity list. So it's definitely something we'll. Um, we'll continue to watch. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a story that will continue to play out, and we'll see where it stands by the time we get to the end of the summer. And certainly as we head into supercomputing, I wonder if that supercomputer in China, the Super Nebula, will be on the next top 500 list. We will find out. All right, Tiffany, thanks for the in-depth reporting on HPC Wire. Our, reader, our listeners can go there and read for more detail. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.